This week on Monument Lab, we speak to artist Michelle Angela Ortiz of the Familia Separatas Project. It's incredibly powerful to uh, amplify the voices of the mothers, to have them, uh, their portraits, their messages at the forefront of all of the artwork that I'm presenting. I'm your host, Paul Farber. This is Monument Lab. Welcome to Monument Lab, a public art and history podcast. Each episode, we'll be talking to artists, activists, and historians about the monuments we've inherited from the past and the people and movements who are critically engaging them today. These are the people building the next generation of monuments through stories of social justice and solidarity. You can read more at monumentlab.com. Earlier this year, many across the country turned to the ongoing crisis along the U.S.-Mexico border. As families seeking asylum were imprisoned, deported, or separated as part of cruel federal measures. For Ortiz, a visual artist and muralist, the scenes were uncanny. Ortiz has worked for more than four years with mothers and their families at Burks, an immigrant family prison thousands of miles from the U.S. southern border and just several hours away from her hometown of Philadelphia. Ortiz has worked to bring the stories of these detained mothers to prominent public spaces where power brokers may connect with stories of these mothers in new ways, including last year at Philly's City Hall as part of Monument Lab 2017. Just last week, Michelle installed a new phase of her Familia Separadas project on the Pennsylvania State Capitol steps in Harrisburg and around the city. Ortiz currently holds fellowships from the Pew Center for Arts and Heritage, the Rauschenberg Foundation Artists as Activist Program, and as a Kennedy Center citizen artist. She regularly partners with organizations like Juntos and the Shutdown Burks Coalition. Michelle Angela Ortiz, welcome to Monument Lab. Thanks for having me. You have just installed your project, Familia Separadas, around the state capital of Pennsylvania. In this work, you represent stories of mothers detained at an immigrant family prison. Can you describe the installations? The, the installations that uh, are part of my Familia Separadas project um, are all in Harrisburg, PA. Um, the installations are a total of eight. Uh, which include three large billboards, three bus shelters surrounding the Capitol steps, one very large installation that is 88 feet in length uh, on the actual Capitol steps in Harrisburg, and a 35-foot mural in Allison Hill, which is the heart of the immigrant community here in Harrisburg. It's also the community that's been the most targeted these past few years with ICE rates. How did you get permission to install on the Capitol steps? We went through the process of working with the Capitol and the exhibition department to ensure that the concrete vinyl decal that we're using uh, wouldn't uh, damage the actual Capitol steps. 
So that was about a good month and a half process of um, testing the material to make sure that no harm would be done. Um, the fact that the artwork obviously is temporary uh, was something that was beneficial to us. I also had to submit a preliminary uh, design. So the design itself is a portrait of a mother and child. They were aware that the project centers around stories of immigrant families and specifically families that have been detained through uh, the family detention system in the United States. When you work in such a prominent place, do you have an intended message or outcome that you're looking to elicit in viewers? Well, I think my intention for the capital steps um, was really looking at it as it's the place where all the affairs go to with our with that that's associated with our uh, state in Pennsylvania. And um, what I understand about the Capitol steps is that it is a public space. It's where both Democrats and Republicans, um, even KKK rallies happen and gather on those steps. It's an open public space where people are able to have freedom of speech and share their messages or share their stories. Um, I felt that it would be incredibly powerful to bring the image of the eyes of Karen and her son, Stephen, who were detained at the Berks Detention Center for 651 days. Um, and then after that detention, they were then deported back to El Salvador. And I felt that it would be incredi incredibly important to and powerful to bring her image and the image of her son back to the Capitol steps. Um, there's this sense that after being released from the center, um, Karen was one of 14 mothers that were detained at the detention center that was that were detained for close to two years. And I feel that what's incredibly powerful is being able to bring Karen and her son and her message and her story back to our state, back to the people who think that um, they've had her story disappear and and re reintroducing or in in a sense actually reminding them that this is still a problem um that their family still detained in in the detention center and i also feel that it's incredibly powerful to uh amplify the voices of the mothers um to have them uh their portraits their messages um at the forefront of all of the artwork that I'm presenting. How I see the Capitol Steps is that public space, but that can still inform the viewer, inform people who are passing by, um, maybe upset some people, uh, as you know, uh, just, just uh, in the beginning of the installation, we had the top Republican in the state issue a press release angry about the mural. And what I say is that if people are offended by the mural, they should really be offended by what's happening to these families. And they should really be offended that this is happening in our state and that we have the capacity to end family detention in our state and set an example for the rest of the country. So I feel that that's thinking about centering her story and, and pushing that forward is, is, I guess, for me, my inspiration for that space. As a part of your process, you visited with mothers detained 
at Burke's family immigrant prison outside of Philadelphia. What was it like for you to visit that facility and visit with the mothers? Yeah, I visited the mothers starting, I would say, March 2017. I came at a time where the mothers felt mentally and emotionally exhausted. They had been fighting. They had been writing campaign letters. They um, were uh, organizing hunger strikes and labor strikes uh, for their freedom to to be able to be released. Um, the 14 mothers uh, were fighting every moment that they were in that family prison. And uh, what I found just really moving and inspiring was uh, I would go and and leave Philadelphia, head over. uh, The drive is about close to two hours, an hour and 45 minutes. You go to Burks and it's written as being a residential center and there's all these trees around and um, there are other places that are like um, senior homes. Um, So what's really a contradiction is that outside is just really peaceful with these trees and um, quiet. Um, but I walk in and everything's really cold. You know, I, I have to give my ID. I have to say, you know, what's my relationship with the families that I'm meeting. And then I go into a little room with no cameras, no cell phone. I really only was able to bring paper, pen or pencil. Um, and, and then I see the mothers in the waiting room, um, the longest length of time that I could see them would be between two hours or if it's a day with very low visits, four hours. There's a camera watching us all the time. There's a guard outside watching us as we're talking. In that waiting room, there's also two huge windows where you can look out into the restricted area, which is a park area where the families are able to play basketball or um, ride a bicycle. It's, it's a very small area that they have to go outside. And so as I'm visiting the mothers and their children are with them, when I visited the mothers, both of their sons were four and seven years old. And as I look out the window, I'm seeing other parents with their small children, uh, younger than that, uh, and younger than my son, who's now a four-year-old. For me, it was more, what would you want to share? What's important to tell about your story before, during, and how do you envision your life after detention? Um, Because they were still detained. And so what I found that really I hold on um, is that in the midst of all of this, they're still able to show so much love to their child, to give them a hug, to give them a smile to let them know that everything's going to be okay. When I know that deep down inside, they're not sure if things are going to be okay. Um, And I relate to that on so many levels as a child of immigrants, as um, coming from also, you know, parents who have experienced trauma, the trauma of poverty, the trauma of um, also uh, dealing with, you know, having to make the decision of leaving, but not necessarily having the very same journey as some of these mothers have had in crossing the border. Um, But there's things that are connected 
to, you know, how, how I see my, myself and how I see my own family. Um, and then the connection of being a mother to a small child and just thinking as the mothers are telling me stories that their child's not receiving medical attention, they can't sleep in the same bed or caress their child to say everything's going to be okay if they're scared. They have to sleep in separate beds. Um, there's always the risk of them being separated um, because if the mothers don't abide with the rules, then they'll be separated from their children. What thoughts were running through your head during or after these visits? So it's very difficult for me to hear this because I think of myself and my own child. Um, but I also um, have tried in, in, in all of my sessions and times that I met with a mom, be as present with them in moments where they're sharing joyful stories and other moments where they felt anguish or they were just worried about what was going to happen the next day at the hands of the judge. Um, so those visits were, you know, I kind of needed that hour and a half or hour and 45 minutes over and back to kind of mentally prepare myself because at the same time, and I think this is really important as a role, a role as my role as an artist, obviously I'm connecting with the moms and all of these other in a, on a personal way. But I also feel that, um, you know, I didn't set myself saying, Oh, well, I'm going to do this for five sessions and I'll get this amount of information. It was really just building that trust and that relationship with the mothers and being okay with like, yeah, two hours we spent together talking. We didn't do anything. And, um, but also I think that, um, you know, I'm there to be present for them. Right. And, and to offer another way for them to express themselves. Um, they don't have time for me to feel sad or upset or, you know, that those kind of emotions I have to deal with on my own. But I think also which I've shared every time I talk about Burks is that it's really understanding my position and the privilege that I have to go into uh, a prison, to go into this building that, um, that they can't leave, that it's a human right that, that, that they themselves have been denied. So I take everything that was shared, everything that we worked together, everything in terms of how this was going to be pushed out or communicated, um, even now that they're outside of the center, I take it with a lot of care because this is their story. And so I need to make sure that they are 100% on board on how their story is being told, how their images are going to be seen, who is seeing these images. And so when you really think about... Um, the artistic voice or what, what the, what are the final decisions of the artist, right? For me, it's important in my creative process that they are a part of that process. Like, and it takes time and it takes trust and, um, it takes revision and it takes those moments of, okay, I'm calling you at nine o'clock through WhatsApp. So you can see the final design before I even send it off to, um, to get printed, right? Um, what I take out of that is that I am in all of the strength and the resilience of the women, of all 14 women. Um, and I continue to be in, in all of the, of the strength of the families that are still currently detained at the center. 
last summer, headlines of immigrant family prisons, you know, were brought to the attention of people around the country. And this is an issue, though, that you have been facing at Burke's with mothers that were detained. What was going on in your mind as you saw this issue become a national story? When I saw the rise of attention around uh, family separation happening, it was happening during the month of June. And I remember specifically because I was in an artist residency in Santa Fe. And the intention of that artist residency was actually to sit down, make some really clear decisions on the project, begin to work on the designs and uh, listen to the video interviews that I did with each one of the mothers and really begin to kind of square out what what was important in their story that I could share with them and then work with them to see what would be pushed out. So it was really difficult because this was a time that I really needed to just kind of relax and listen and, and kind of uh, process the work that I have been doing for the past three months prior. But what actually happened was during that time, I was wrestling with the sense of urgency to get these messages out, right? Um, but then also the also the time that I really needed, that the project really needed, that the, the mothers and their stories really deserved. Um, so I couldn't just push things out that way. There was a struggle inside of me between the urgency and then the, the time that I really needed. Um, what I was able to do during that time frame was that the mothers were aware of the attention that was happening. And so they decided that they wanted to send out messages specifically to Governor Tom Wolf. And that became an opportunity within the national conversation uh, that was happening around family detention to then push out their direct messages. So those were the very first video clips that went out public of the mothers sharing their point of view and also um, demanding or putting pressure on the governor to shut down the center. Um, what I can also say is what happened in June has been happening for a very, very long time. I can say that when I first heard about Burks through both Juntos, which is an immigrant rights organization, and also the Shutdown Burks Coalition, which is my current community partner for the second phase of Familias Separadas, uh, I was just finding out more information about what was happening, not just on our state, on the state level, but on a national level of what was happening. Um, these these uh, separations uh, of families have been happening for a very long time at the border towns. So there's three family prisons that exist in the United States. It's Kearney and Dilly, which are in Texas, and the Burks Family Prison, how they call it, the Residential Family Center. Words matter. There's no mention of detention. There's no mention of prison within their title. And so what I felt uh, with that sense of urgency, which is really difficult, right? So um, I was able to share out other images that could be used during an, a slew of marches that were happening during that time. And I was able to do that um, while being in Santa Fe. But then I also had to say, okay, this project really needs the time and I can't push anything out 
uh, during in, in the month of June at the height of all this attention around family separation. I think that I was in a sense happy that people were now paying attention to it, but the way that you know, our attention span happens is like, you know, we're, we're dealing with one topic and then it kind of dissipates, you know, it's even more important that I continue to do the work with Familias Separadas and the stories of the mothers. Um, but also I felt that, you know, that attention was happening at the borders and why I feel that it's important to talk about Burks is that when people think about the larger immigration narrative, when they think about family separation, the first thing they think about is the border. They think about Arizona, they think about California, they think about Texas. No one is really thinking about Pennsylvania. And I felt that from the very beginning with Familias Separadas, when I did my first set of installs in Philadelphia, and really thinking about all these images of freedom and democracy, yet we live in a state where we have, we have a prison det- uh, incarcerating children, um, that uh, that it was necessary, it still continues to be necessary to push forward the emphasis on Pennsylvania and that the what's dangerous about what's happening at Berks is that uh, with the increase of all of these children who have been separated from their families, separated from their um, parents, there's now a larger need to incarcerate them. There's a bigger need for these detention centers. There is business to be made. Berks County earns $1.3 million in the incarceration of small children and their parents in our state. So what is dangerous about this situation that we're in, obviously the lack of attention around the issue is important to recuperate that attention. And then two is that these uh, centers, these extra tents, these um, uh, decisions of moving uh, children from one location to another. So what we saw in New York, there was about 300 children that were moved to a shelter. In Philadelphia, just a week ago, there were 60 children that were placed in a shelter uh, in North Philadelphia. So for anyone who thinks that this is a problem or how it's presented in the media as a border issue. Um, yeah, it could start at the border, but it's, it's expanding throughout our country. The, the biggest concern is that it's expanding and people, meaning county representatives, politicians, can see this as an opportunity to earn more funding, to be able to um, get some of those federal funds um, back into their respective states. And, uh, and so that's why there's that urgency of, uh, of shutting down the prison and, sh- and, and finding other ways to, you know, take care of these children that um, were just looking for safety and refuge. As you talk about the relationship between cities and municipalities. Can you describe how the Familia Separadas project began in Philadelphia? Sure. Um, From 2011 to 2012, I was working on my project called Aki Iaya, which means here and there. It was a transnational mural 
still in Philadelphia, located on 6th Street between Dickinson and Tasker. Um, This mural came as a result of me seeing that there were some programming dedicated to the immigrant community, specifically Mexican immigrant community, but it's very much centered around maintaining the Spanish language, uh, learning about Mexican history, um, making sure that the children of the immigrant families were speaking Spanish. But there was very little that was dealing really with the trauma of immigration or the cultural shock of immigration. What I decided to do is work with youth and not just youth here in Philadelphia, but youth with in um, Mexico, both in Juarez and Chihuahua City, which are two of the cities where um, several families, many families uh, go through the border and then arrive to El Paso and then move up north. Um, and so the, the, the concept was to have about eight to nine teens here in Philadelphia and then pairing them with eight to nine teens, both in uh, two high schools in Juarez and another one in Chihuahua City. I was able to make that happen because I was already traveling back and forth to Mexico, uh, to, to specifically Juarez and Chihuahua City, as a United States cultural envoy. And so really, talk about having to navigate through the system. I had to navigate through the embassies. I had to find ways to um, really put the 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 work uh, and the messages of the communities at the forefront that at times didn't line up with the agenda of the embassy or didn't line up with the in-country partner that had their own perceptions of how the community should be represented. And what I also found was the many children who were left behind and they would have their parents living um, in the United States. Once I got back to Philadelphia, I found that, you know, this there were teenagers who had left, who had uh, been raised in Mexico by their grandparents or from the age of seven or 10, and some of them across on their own to come and be reunited with their parents in Philadelphia. So the concept too is just, you know, when I talk about trauma, it's like, okay, not only are you leaving everything behind um, and people think, well, you come to a new city, you have to learn a new language. You have to, you're a teenager, you're trying to, or you're becoming a teenager. So you're, you're dealing with self-esteem issues. You're trying to navigate through the school system. And then on top of that, you're trying to reestablish a relationship with your family with your parents who left you when you were three or two to be able to provide a better life for you, um, and, and send money, send money back home. Um, and so you're, you're in this like really, again, um, just that shock of just trying to kind of reconstruct the family dynamic. And then at the same time, trying to move through and, and survive within high school and, and the city, just being in the city. And so what I felt that was really interesting is, was to talk about that process. Um, it was interesting to present through the youth's perspective, their own story and in a way that no one was going to judge them. And so you know, I just went through all of the things that these kids have had to go through, right? So, and then you add deportation to that. 
uh, and the impact is just so great because now you're finally reunited with your family, with your parents. You're starting to establish some type of normality of what it means to be together. And then all of a sudden, one of your parents are deported. Um, so Familias Separadas came at that point, rise of deportations that were happening uh, here in the United States. Um, and so every project that I do really influences, you know, one project influences another and gives me the idea to do the next. And I felt that um, uh, really focusing, again, the, the effects of deportations, which was, again, an, a huge national issue, still continues to be, um, but also really centering around Philadelphia. And, and as I mentioned before, you know, we have the Declaration of Independence, we have the Liberty Bell, we have all of these symbols and monuments uh, dedicated to freedom and justice. Um, but then at the same time, we have families who are being terrorized. We have, uh, I remember a summer where I had one of my neighbors being pulled out of his house and and um, slammed up against the wall and, and handcuffed in front of his three-year-old. Like, this was happening in South Philadelphia. Uh, ice raids are still continuing to happen. We still have families that are in, that are trying to seek sanctuary. Um, so when we say we're a sanctuary city, we're not there yet. Right. Um, and so organizations like Juntos and New Sanctuary Movement um, and the Shutdown Burks Coalition are organizations that are still continuing the fight, that are still trying to push forward a safe city for immigrant families. Um, but yeah, so Familias Separadas, the first phase was really focused on stories of five families that have been affected by deportation. So either they were at risk of being deported, they've had a loved one deported, um, uh, or, or they were detained at some point. How did you install this work in the city? We had... Um, one of the images that uh, really stood out, or two images that stood out from that first phase of Familias Separadas was Eres Mi Todo, which is, uh, translates to You Are My Everything. And it's the story of Maria, who, uh, whose husband was um, detained and then eventually deported. He was sent to a prison in California for three years. Um, it was very difficult for her because she was raising their five children and trying to see what was going to happen if he was deported, if she was going to go back to Mexico or if she was going to stay in Philadelphia um, and, and raise her children, who some are, are U.S. citizens who are, were born and raised in Philadelphia. And I believe her eldest daughter is not. And so it was a dilemma because of each one of their statuses and what would that entail if she were, were to go back to Mexico. Um, so that image of, of, uh, Maria, uh, and the title of the piece, Eres Mi Todo, was placed on the Compass Rose in the courtyard of City Hall as the William Penn statue looms over her. And, uh, what I felt that was really important. And I walked through that space, I don't know, almost every day for about four months. <laughs> um, and so that's what I kind of do is I just walk through the spaces that I want to intervene. Um, you know, we think about the compass, which is the permanent uh, public art piece that's there um, by Edmund Bacon. Uh, the compass represents the sense of direction, trying to find your place 
And that's really just, uh, you know, relevant to all of the families that are immigrant families and have have landed in Philadelphia as a place to as a safe place for their families and for them to grow and for them to be able to thrive. And so, um, you know, this point, this compass rose where north, south, east and west meet um, really becomes the the physical, visual way of me centering Maria's story as an undocumented mother in our city and how important that is. And the the other piece what I, which I felt was really stood out from that first phase was the We Are Human Beings piece that was placed uh, in front of the Immigration Customs Enforcement Building. Uh, this ICE building has jurisdiction to uh, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and New Jersey. It's the first point of the process of detention for loved ones. And um, talk about like trying to think about permission. So I was able to uh, talk to the streets commissioner and to our benefit, we had an outgoing mayor at the time, which was mayor Michael Nutter. Um, And we were able to grant permission to be able to place a stencil, uh, a temporary stencil, 90 foot long, word stencil that represents uh, the quotes of one of the mothers that was detained at the Berks Detention Center. Her name is Anna. The quote itself says, we are human beings risking our lives for our families and our future. And it was placed at the exit point of the ICE building where loved ones are then transferred to prisons and jails to continue their detention uh, time. Um, And what was really incredibly powerful at that moment was that we were installing this piece. Uh, I obviously needed the permission. This goes back to artist responsibility, right? Um, it's not just about the work. It's ensuring that the people who you want to be there, and in my case, I wanted undocumented families to be a part of this process. I wanted them to feel safe. So I needed to ensure that they were going to be safe in front of this building that represents so much fear. I was able to get permission from the commissioner. We actually had cops on either end of the street blocking us and uh, ICE agents were watching us as we were placing uh, this huge stencil on the ground. And it was just really powerful, right, to have all of the community members, uh, allies, volunteers, we were all working together with this really powerful message that was coming directly from from a, a mother that was detained. Um, but it was also something that I felt was powerful. I kind of Im- want to imagine what were the ICE agents thinking as we were placing down these words. At the end of the installation, we actually chanted. And, uh, and because we knew that people were in that building detained, so we wanted them to hear our voices. Um, but we also know that at the uh, when people were exiting from the building that the folks that were detained were also able to see the message. And so I feel that these moments where things can seem pretty impossible, right? When I say that I installed something in front of the ICE building, people are like, what? And what permissions? Um, It's just really trying to maintain, trying to stay positive, but at the same time, um, ensuring that the folks that are working with me are safe. The success of the install was great. But I think what was what really remains with me was the act of everyone coming together and being fearless in the midst of this building that represents so much fear. At this installation in front of 
the ICE building with so much clearly on your mind, especially around the safety and livelihood of undocumented families and supporters and allies. Were you able to be present with yourself? What was your state of mind as the artist leading this really urgent installation? What I was able to do, because I knew that I was going to be caught up with the logistical things of how the artwork needed to be placed and and how it needed to look. So I I kind of already knew, okay, I was going to be in that mode of like, okay, move this up, level this. I was running up and down in the garage and looking from above because obviously I wasn't able to go into the ice building to see how things were looking. Um, So I knew I was going to be like in this production mode um, and, uh, and having to direct everyone. So what we were able to do is that um, right before the install, uh, we gathered in a circle. We shared with everyone that was there and present why we were doing what we were doing. And I say we because Juntos was there with me. Other families were there with me. So um, I, I was able to share with them like why we're doing this, right, and for who. Um, and I felt that it really was a great moment to kind of just center the intention of the work, um, to, to know and kind of place, like, this is not just a sense that we're, we're placing on the ground. I think that was the moment where I had said, you know, there are people inside that are now detained that are in this building and are detained. And so we just need to keep them present with us as we move forward in, putting this work down. Um, and that was a good like 10, 15 minutes to kind of, you know, really put ourselves in that place that we needed to be to, to make it happen, to make the work happen. And, um, there was a moment after we finished the install where we had all of the community members kind of line up, um, at the edge of the installation and so there was a photographer there with a video with a video camera and he was able to just film all of us looking into the camera um after we had finished what we've done and i think that we even have some photographs of just the intensity of everyone's look including my own my own family was there and um it was just really emotional and powerful. It's, it's one of the things that will always be one of those moments that I hold with a lot of care. Right. Um, but, but ours is like, this is how I want all of my projects to be. Right. It was something that was such a high, a high moment or the climax. Right. So, um, but people were just so present, um, and eager, to to help to uh work with one another um and i feel that you know what was really beautiful was just seeing folks you know we're they're holding this huge stencil and we're all working together right and and it's also a representation of of the work that i do i i can never do any of this by myself you know and whether there are folks that are physically like on the wall working with me or on holding the stencil um 
or the conversations that I'm having with the mothers and in making key decisions on how to move forward with their stories. This is this is uh, the collaboration part, right? This is the the part where you know we we never really could do anything on our own. We we need each other at the very end, coming together. So kind of like having that opening of centering why we're doing this work and centering our int- intention, and then the end, you know, beginning to chant, knowing that we wanted our voices to carry. And, and arrive to the ears of the families, that the family members and loved ones that were detained in the building that we were in front of. You're listening to Michelle Angela Ortiz on the Monument Lab podcast. We'll be back after this brief message. Hi, everyone. A new opportunity for Monument Lab. We are accepting applications for the inaugural Monument Lab National Fellows Program, supported by a generous grant from the CERDNA Foundation. This fellowship will support individuals around the country whose ongoing projects address long-term inequities and monuments and engage new creative approaches to public art, history, and memory. Applications are also welcome from high school students around the country with existing projects that use art, activism, history, journalism, and other tools to approach monuments in their communities. Interested candidates can learn more and apply at MonumentLab.com. Welcome back to the Monument Lab podcast. Let's return to our conversation with artist Michelle Angela Ortiz. In your collaborations with community partners like Juntos and the Shutdown Burks Coalition, do you have to kind of work out agreements or points of understanding so that you kind of sync up artistic efforts and organizing efforts? So when I decide to do a project and I am in the process of choosing a community partner, it's really about finding folks that have been doing this work finding folks that have the have established trust with the community that push forward the voices of the community that they're not being um they're not speaking on behalf of the community they are creating structures in which the community themselves when i talk about community i mean undocumented mothers and teenagers and folks that they are then sharing their own story and they are given the tools to know how to share those stories. So when I look at organizations like Juntos or look at other groups like the Shutdown Burks Coalition, those are the qualities that I try to look for, is how are they creating within their organizing and activism work ways for the community members to shine and to move forward and to advocate and to inform, inform them in ways that they can defend themselves but that by speaking out, they're not just advocating for themselves, but for their whole community. And so, um, but I also think of it as with any community partnership, I also think about it as a relationship, right? In the sense that there needs to be mutual respect, that individuals are able to, or organizations are able to see the artwork and see the, the power that art can 
that art has in the sense of maybe speaking to topics or presenting them in a very different way that doesn't necessarily um, end in a march or in a poster or just thinking about other ways to really advocate. And all those things are necessary. You know, obviously I've, I've participated in, in designing posters. I've, I've marched on marches. Um, but it's also thinking about other ways in which the art can bring a message even further um, or present it in a way that might not be successful in other formats. Um, but I also feel that, you know, what I try to find is um, our common values. So for me, you know, the work that I've been doing uh, for now, going on to 19 to 20 years now, is really centered around narratives, is centered around the power of our stories. It's really centered around um, having our stories present and heard in spaces that are not necessarily, uh, you know, listening to us. And, and so, um, and again, having the community at the forefront of the work. And so when I'm looking for community partners, I'm looking at the work that they have done and how they're leaders within the community, within the places that they're in. Um, but also I'm looking at how they interact with community members, how they um, are really thinking about that process of how the community is part of the planning, the community is part of how they want to be perceived or how they want to fight the fight. Um, so when I, yeah, when I look into who I want to partner with, I ask myself all these questions um, but also when I'm coming into a conversation with a community partner, it's really thinking about what are ways in which the artwork can support the work that you're already doing. And uh, in most cases, I'm creating images that are in neighborhoods where the people that are represented in the murals uh, or, or public art installations are the people that live there. And so uh, for Familias Separadas, it was really like taking big risk of saying, I want this near City Hall. I want this at Love Park. I want this in front of the ICE building. Um, and really just like pushing and pushing and pushing. And even to this day right now, I want this image on the Capitol steps. And how are we going to make this happen? Um, and so I think also it it helps with bringing the visibility around the issue that is not just living within the community, but is actually being placed in areas that were not usually seen. And how, how does that then advocate for the work that's already happening with the community partners? Last year, as a part of Monument Lab Philadelphia, we worked together on your project, Seguimos Caminando a projection on Philadelphia City Hall. In the process of, of preparing and bringing that work to life, what did you learn about the city and about public art? And has that informed your work on the state capitol? Well, I with the work that we did with Seguimos Caminando, um, we keep walking, um, which is coming from one of the letters from one of the moms 
that I was visiting at Burke's. I think, you know, through the process, uh, and even looking for a location, uh, I was always stressing to you, like, we really need this to be near city hall. We need to have, you know, visibility and having by, by chance, if there are any politicians that are coming through, we want them to be exposed and see this. But I think also, um, you know, we went from, we had several options and I think, you know, with our city, um, the, the benefit of, of living in Philadelphia is that we have a pretty robust public art program. We have organizations like the mural arts program. We have, um, curators like yourself and Ken Lum, you know, creating these like amazing citywide, uh, projects and really kind of pushing the boundaries of how we think about public space. Um, and so there's already this kind of energy around, okay, what can we do next? Right. I, I think about this all the time is that obviously, uh, I focus my energy on the people that are my allies who have identified themselves as supporters what was great during our process where the piece eventually landed, which was on the gates, the North gates of city hall and how the gates unraveled with, um, with the animation projection. And we were able to see the story of, of the mothers kind of unfold, um, was that we had supporters, some supporters on the inside and in city hall to be able to push that forward. Um, but it was always kind of like, okay, this isn't going to work now. Let's try this. Okay, that's not going to work. Let's try this or whatever our other options. But overall, we were able to pull it off to really focus on the support that we were getting. And so by having it on the North Gates, kind of actually, it worked very nicely. It's a, it's a space behind our, our city hall where it's people can actually contemplate. You know, you can actually, you're not being bombarded with other lights or other projections or other noises that that happen on the other side where Dilworth uh, Plaza is. Um, it's a moment where you can actually be quiet. And so it became a really uh, beautiful place for the projection to take place. But also uh, what I loved about Seguimos uh, Caminando is that you're able to hear the story of Lorena um, and you're able to hear her voice echo through City Hall. And so there were several people who came up and said, you know, I just heard her. Vo- I just heard someone speaking Spanish. Then I wanted to see what was happening or, you know, I sat down and I just listened to her voice. Um, and I felt that that's really, you know, for me, it was really powerful because in the, in the energy and the noise that's always constantly happening in our city, to hear a voice that sounds familiar or that sounds like home and to identify with that was, was something that I felt was, I was, I was happy to provide that moment for people. You know, I'm born and raised in South Philadelphia. I still live on the same block that I uh, was raised on um, right by the ninth street market. My mom worked in the market for 25 years. Um, You know, I'm, I'm really like, deeply rooted in Philadelphia. Um, and I feel that to have, to live in a city where I have the, uh, potential to intervene, to present new ideas, to find ways to tell stories. 
I think it's really a blessing because I can be home and still do all these amazing things in our city. Um, yeah. And I don't know if that answered your question, but I, you know, what I, what I feel that what I've learned, especially in moments that are the most difficult is really channeling your energy on the people that will support you. And so I can be in a room where maybe, which, which actually did happen with the permissions for ice, where I was in a room of, with four representatives from the city. One person was a definite no, another person was a maybe, and then we had two other people, two or three other people that were a yes. So I focused on the maybe and the yeses so that it would wash away the no's. Um, and just maintaining positivity, I feel like also what's been helpful to me when I connect with city officials, when I connect with community partners, um, when I connect just with people who are not necessarily artists or know about the art world, I try to really think about ways that I can talk about my project and talk about the work or talk about my intention, right? Like, why am I doing this? And not only why am I doing this, but why, why would you want to say yes to this? Why would you want to support this and be on board? Um, and, and I think that that's been helpful to me too, is like thinking beyond than just what I want as an artist, but really thinking about the other person when they're listening to my project, when they're hearing what I'm saying. Um, I want this, I want them to be inspired or, or really want to support the work. So I, I try my best to also communicate that um, and share that. We're in the midst of a of an urgent moment where there's a crisis around immigration and important advocates making their voice heard. What are your dreams for your work and for this moment? What I see happening right now is the lack of human connection. And the lack of human connection allows us to meeting humans feel disconnected to one another in the sense that you no longer either have feelings, your cause is insignificant. Um, what you're going through is not valued or even, how do I put it? Even acknowledged. It's really disheartening. Right. And, and I say this all, not just as an artist, but as uh, you know, as a person that's raising another human being in this world. And so we're living at a scary time where this is happening via social media, it's propaganda, it's pushed out. It's, um, you know, I guess for me, the, the bigger picture, the dream, obviously there's so many things that I want to happen with my work. And, but I also feel that I need to be grounded and be realistic. Like when I was doing the Akina Ya project, I understood that, you know, by just doing the mural, that's not going to give citizenship to the eight undocumented teens that were working with me. That wasn't going to um, bring the kids that were stuck in the border over to the United States. Um, when I was visiting with the mothers, I understood that our letters or even the paper flowers that we created for uh, Flores de Libertad for Monument Lab 
um, wasn't going to release them. There's to a certain extent what I know that I can do with my art. There's an understanding of what I can't do with my art. But what I know that I can do and what I have been able to do is remind the mothers of how powerful and how resilient they are to give space to the teens for the Akimeya project to honestly just say, I wish I was back home with my grandmother, you know, to say I'm angry because I left and my grandmother passed away and I wasn't able to be by her side to have a space of just, you know, honesty and truth and healing and uh, places for us to gather what will happen on Saturday, November 3rd, is the Shutdown Burks Coalition is organizing a gathering. It's a statewide community action, and community members are coming from different places from the state. And the intention is that we're able to not just gather at the Capitol steps where the image of Karen and her son are present, but to actually walk to the mural in Allison Hill, which is, as I mentioned, the immigrant community that has also been severely under attack by ICE these past few years in Harrisburg, Um, and to really utilize not just the work on the Capitol Steps as a way to sharing the messages and testimonials of the families and creating that visual platform for that to happen, but to come back to the community and be able to be with one another and be able to use the mural as that moment to gather and to remind ourselves of why we're still fighting, to remind ourselves that we are beautiful, resilient people. What's happening right now with the caravan of the thousand plus families that are crossing all these borders, if that's not a symbol of strength, you know, I just don't know, you know, for me, it's like the, there's so much power in acknowledging the light that we all carry. And so I I know that I'm sounding really philosophical, but it's also just for me, like how I see my work. Um, and I've said this before, is just like, I see myself as like a little firefly when there's places that are so extremely dark. And I'm able to shine some light and I'm also able to energize the light that's been dimmed within the other folks that are in, uh, in that dark place. My mantra has always been, how can I be both poetic and powerful in my work? Um, but also how can I be that light in the midst of the darkness that's around us? And most importantly, how can I be the person that's connecting each other to that light source, right? That then helps, you know, do away with that darkness. This is the only way that I can really explain it in terms of how I see my work, because in the most practical sense, it's it's hard to really think about um, to a certain degree impact or what was the change that happened here. I can only attest to the change that I've seen with individuals. I've seen perspectives change. I've seen a child's face light up. I've seen a mother cry. You know, there's moments where people tell me things that I really was not sometimes prepared for. (laughs) But, But I also see myself 
myself in them. And, um, and I think that that's really, that's really about reinforcing that human connection. And that's really what I want to push forward with my work. Michelle Angela Ortiz, thank you so much for this conversation and thank you for all the work you do. Thank you for inviting me and to share more about my work. Thanks so much, Paul. Michelle Angela Ortiz's Familia Separadas is now installed in Harrisburg on the Capitol steps and around the city through November 18th. On November 3rd, Ortiz and her community partner, Shutdown Burke's Coalition, are co-organizing statewide actions to call attention to the fight to end family detention. Learn more at her website, michelleangela.com. You can listen to Monument Lab and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you like the show, remember to leave a rating or review. It really helps. The Monument Lab podcast is supported by the Serdna Foundation. This podcast is written and produced by Paul Farber and Justin Geller. Designer and associate producer is William Roy Hodgson. Sound engineer, Justin Geller. Editorial coordinator, Steph Garcia. All music on the podcast is original by Mokita. I'm your host, Paul Farber. For more, visit us at monumentlab.com or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.